President Joe Biden and Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy have unveiled a, quote, debt ceiling, close quote, agreement involving major attacks on workers and the environment. Yes, that's the deal. The two are now racing to push through Congress a deal that would see stepped up production of fossil fuels, cuts to food stamps and the rollback of vital services, all while making it easier for the rich to evade taxes and, of course, exempting the Pentagon from any spending limits. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for this, our regular weekly segment on the socialist program, where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. The socialist program brings you content several days a week, thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening or rely on this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining Professor Wolf, the debt ceiling, as you and we have talked about over the many months, is an artificial political creation. Nonetheless, as an artificial creation, it does serve as a time when the Democrats and Republicans struggle together with each other over how to raise the debt ceiling or allow government debt spending to continue to grow. And the trade-offs are that the Republicans, in this case, are demanding and have successfully demanded, apparently, major concessions from the Biden administration. Some of them include, and this doesn't really relate to the debt ceiling at all, that the Mountain Valley Pipeline will now be permitted. This has been a, a focus of struggle by environmentalists, a big part of the Democratic Party base has mobilized against the permission of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, along with other pipelines, cuts to food stamps. Yes, food stamps, that big budget buster food stamps, spending freeze all across the board in discretionary spending, Richard, but not for the Pentagon. And it eliminates $30 billion in unspent COVID aid that would have gone to local budgets. Anyway, let's get started with all of that. Okay, first to dismantle some of the propaganda BS that is coming out about this. And you'll notice the Republicans have to tell basically lies to the right wing extreme MAGA people in their ranks in order to get them not to block it. And Mr. Biden has to do the equivalent with the progressive Democrats 
And they both have to lie to their bases because the compromise is, in fact, full of things neither of those political positions wanted. And it's also something that the American people have to understand. So let's begin with the nonsense that this is not a cut in spending on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, support for every kind of social welfare program in the United States. It is a cut. They've decided, quote unquote, to spend the same amount of money in 2024 that they did this year and to allow only a 1% increase in the year 2025. Okay, we are currently at a 5% inflationary rate. No one knows whether it's going to get worse or better or the stay the same. If it stays roughly at 5%, and you don't increase it next year, that means you can buy 5% less in the way of government services to provide to the people because a flat dollar amount faces 5% higher prices for everything the government pays for, including the wages of people who work in government social programs. So if we assume, for example, that we stay with a 5% inflation rate in 2024 and 2025, and you only allow a 1% increase in 2025, you're talking about a 9% drop in the actual goods and services that the government can provide to the mass of people. That is a huge cut at a time when America's gap between rich and poor is getting worse from an already bad situation. This is something no liberal, let alone a progressive, could in any way justify. Then we have the symbolic, but nonetheless real consequences. Let's start with food stamps. Wow. We made food stamps something that you could only qualify if you were an able-bodied adult between 18 and 49 in the old system, if you work 20 hours a week or less, giving every low-wage employer the option of having a captive workforce. It's one step short of wage slavery, because these people, to get enough money to buy enough basic food, have to go work 20 hours a week, and they have, in most cases, to find a job by somebody who's going to give them 20 hours, but at a very low wage, because they know they have to take it in order to qualify for the food stamp. This terrible program, most advanced countries do not require people who are already in a tough enough situation to need a, 150 bucks more of food each month to do the work. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And that was extended. Now the age is 18 to 55 years of age, an extra six years of older people who will be made to do the work at low-wage jobs to get the food help. I mean, the level of meanness and discrimination against the poor, it's so offensive, it violates every ethical, moral commitment that people give lip service to when they go to church on Sunday. 
and the most important thing, which is the one least discussed. Nothing is done to raise taxes on corporations and the rich. We have more rich people than ever before, a smaller percentage of our population, but a growing number of billionaires and millionaires. We didn't raise a tax on them. The so-called compromise between Democrats and Republicans lets them off the hook. Let me remind everyone, under Trump in 2017, we passed, the government of the United States, one of the biggest tax cuts for corporations and the rich we've ever had in our history. When that took effect, the revenues coming into the government really fell, which is a major reason why we're bumping up against the so-called debt ceiling, because the government had to borrow all the money it didn't tax from corporations and the rich. This was outrageous on the face of it because it came at the end of 30 years of growing inequality between rich and poor. A clear argument could be made and is made by economists that never was a tax break for corporations and the rich less needed and less deserved than in 2017, given the rising inequality that favored the rich in the previous 30 years. And what did Mr. Biden do in this moment? Nothing. He didn't raise the taxes that had been lowered. He didn't bring them back. He didn't make it part of the conversation. We were treated as a nation to a lie, namely that the issue is raise the debt ceiling or cut social programs. Wow. And what the Democrats did, as they so often do, is they cut social programs. I just went through that because when you understand we're in an inflation, you can see how big a cut Mr. Biden just arranged for. And he raised the debt ceiling instead of taxing the corporations even a small part of the tax cut they got a few years ago. No, no, this is not a compromise. This is a cave-in. This is a, a game in which the Republicans move further and further to the right. That's the MAGA phenomena. That's DeSantis. That's Trump. And the Democrats limp along over to the right with nothing better than this. We're not quite as bad as the Republicans. And that's true. They're not quite as bad, but they are bad and they're getting worse each time. And you'll notice that this charade of a Congress that spends money, raises taxes, and then puts a ceiling on its own debt Deciding two years from now, there isn't going to be a ceiling because they don't want to go through this absurd game another time. It makes them look dysfunctional. It freaks the rest of the world out as they correctly perceive an increasingly desperate society. We have half of our people living paycheck to paycheck. And this compromise puts the mass of the American people, the half living from paycheck to paycheck, and the next quarter beyond that, who are a little bit better off, but really worried about their economic future, we just squeeze them another step. And at a certain point, that is going to blow up in the face of people like Biden and the Republicans and the so-called compromises they try to foist on the rest of us. Richard, 
the deal says, and I want to go over some of the specific numbers, the breakdown of non-defense discretionary spending for fiscal year 2024 is that the cap would be at about $704 billion, of which $121 billion would be for veterans' medical care and $583 billion for other areas. Now, discretionary spending for our audience, discretionary spending means not Medicare, not Social Security, et cetera. Those are not discretionary spending. Those are so-called entitlement programs as they're wrongly described. But they're basically economic rights and obligations that the government has. So the non-defense discretionary spending will be $704 billion, but of that, $121 billion will be for veterans' medical care. Now, get the rest of this. Some $886 billion will be spent on defense in the fiscal year 2024, but there is no spending limit on defense. Now, defense is, you know, that used to be called the Department of War. Then after World War II, it was called the Department of Defense. So instead of calling it war spending, we call it defense spending, even though the last time the U.S. was invaded was the War of 1812. So obviously really not for defense. But when you look at those numbers, Richard, $583 billion for non-defense discretionary spending, that's education, healthcare, housing, the environment, that's $583 billion. And $886 billion for war. I mean, it's like not just a little bit more for war than everything else. It's a lot more for war than anything else. Yeah, I mean, for me, it is the other side of the refusal to tax corporations and the rich. You'll notice that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats had the courage or even the minimal honesty to talk about guns versus butter, which is something everybody understands. The money the government spends on military is money that it is not spending on all the other things human beings need. The United States is already, as everyone who pays attention to these statistics knows, the number one country in the world for spending on defense or military. The United States spends more than the next nine countries in order of spending combined. And those nine countries include Russia and China on the adversaries list, and then all the U.S. allies comprise the remainder of those nine other countries. In other words, the United States' defense spending put together with those of its allies is an overwhelming overkill of any kind of warfare that we're likely to experience, let alone survive. There's no justification for this. And there's lots of evidence in the history of empires like that of the United States that when they go down, when they enter their period, usually of a fairly drawn out decline, one of the classic mistakes they made over and over again is something historians call overreach. They didn't understand their own decline. They kept imagining they could continue to behave in a declining empire. They had been behaving in a rising one. Well, here's the irony. Many of the empires of the past collapsed 
because they spent so much trying to hold on to the control of the world they once had that they gave too little to the internal needs of their society, which thereupon imploded underneath them. They had a magnificent army, but the country the army represented was falling apart. The divisions in the United States, the possibility that someone like Trump could be the president again, with the divisions we see all around us, and the bitterness and extremes all around us. This is not a time to give little to the domestic well-being of your country. That is becoming a security risk much greater than constraining the military. And this basic rule, which has governed the decline of every other empire, is being ignored here and will likely accelerate the decline of this one as well. Richard, two more things that I want to talk to you about before we finish up. And I think they're both important. One is about the size of the U.S. debt. You know, it's now the debt ceiling will go above $31 trillion and the gross national product of the U.S. in, say, 2021 was about $23.5 trillion. So about $8 trillion more in debt than the actual economy. I think that's important because people talk about capitalism frequently as, you know, the, the marvel of the free market and so on and so forth. But if the U.S. government didn't have this debt, in other words, if it didn't spend more than what the economy is actually taking in, I think we could pretty much visualize the collapse, the entire collapse of the U.S. economy. So the debt isn't just a thing. It's a crucial thing. It's an essential thing. It's a foundational part of modern society. And, you know, if you have a big debt, but you can continue to pay the debt, it's not an imminent crisis. But I want to talk to you about whether the debt actually does matter. Some people make the argument that doesn't matter, the government debt. So that's one thing. I want to talk to you about that. But after you answer that question, I want to ask you one thing about the right-wing Freedom Caucus in the Republican Party, some of their demagogy about this debt ceiling. But I want to get your impression first about, or your, your knowledge first about, whether the debt, having a debt that's larger than the actual economy, whether that matters. Yeah, it matters. You will have some economists uh, telling you that the United States can forever borrow. And there is a technical truth to all of that. The government can continue to borrow because it's possible for the treasury, that's the part of the government that borrows and spends money, to keep borrowing from the Federal Reserve, which simply prints the money, which it then lends to the government. We've been doing that for many, many years, and that obviously frees the government because then the whole finagle is all done inside the government, and what you get is an immense increase in money. And that, of course, runs the risk of an inflation. But you technically can keep borrowing. If you can't get the rest of the world to lend to you, well, then you basically print the money and lend it to the government by another agency of the government. That's technically true, but it doesn't deal with the underlying reality. And here's what it is. The government of the United States is now one of the biggest debtors in the world with a 32 trillion, whatever it is, debt. Interest has to be paid on that. 
That's important for Americans to understand. Who owns the debt? Answer, corporations, rich people, and foreign governments. Those are the major owners in the public, so-called, that own the debt. Okay, that means the United States government has to raise taxes on you and me and take the money that we give them in taxes and turn it over to corporations and the rich and foreign governments as interest on the debt. That's money raised in taxes that can't be used to help a college student through college, can't be used to give proper medical care to poor people, can't be used to maintain our roads and highways. Why? Because the money is going instead to who? To corporations and the rich. But that's crazy. The corporations and the rich only lend to the government the money that they weren't required to give that government in taxes. It's a hustle. Corporations and the rich love not paying taxes, but lending the money instead to the government because they get it back and they earn interest. You and me pay the taxes that pay that interest. And here's one for those of Americans who don't understand international finance real well. The second largest lender to the United States government for its debt is the People's Republic of China. They own just under a trillion dollars of U.S. debt. That means that the American taxpayers are paying taxes to Washington every year, and $40 billion, roughly, of that money that we pay in taxes is simply collected by Uncle Sam in Washington and given over to Xi Jinping in Beijing, China, which the Chinese can and do use in whatever way they see fit. This craziness is part of the debt of the United States. By the way, the number one country right now is Japan, and we send another 40 billion to them. And then there's the United Kingdom, and we send a bunch of money to the, this, this is crazy. And why do we do it? Because we have to, not at all. Because the government could have taxed corporations and the rich, and then it wouldn't have had to borrow, not from them or anyone else, because we would have raised enough money by taxing corporations and the rich so that we wouldn't bump up against the debt ceiling. We wouldn't increase our national debt. We therefore wouldn't increase the taxes we pay to service that debt. All of that should have been part of the national conversation. None of it was. That's lying. You know, there's two kinds of lying. When you say something that isn't true, and when you don't say something you know is true. And neither Mr. Biden, nor Mr. McCarthy, nor any of those people was running around the United States over the last three months making clear to people what is in fact at stake about these abstract notions of a national debt and all the rest of it. I hope what I've just done is to make it clear, but it is a shame on this government that it requires this kind of a program and this kind of an interview to put on the agenda for people to think about what should have been front and center for the last five months. All right. Thank you so much for that, Richard. And I want to come back to this issue of debt and how it works, because it's so important, the points that you're making. And I think most people don't really 
understand it fully, not because it's complicated. It's just never discussed properly or at all in the U.S. media. It's been completely left out of the discussion. But servicing the debt, meaning paying interest on the debt for the federal government, the total for this year is about $400 billion paid as interest payments to the banks, the corporations, the rich, those who hold treasury securities. Now, that's 6.8% of all the spending in the country is going to pay interest on that earlier debt. Now, we're going to come back to that, but here's my final point, Richard, and I really I really wanted to highlight this. The Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, they're making a big pitch as Trump did to win the hearts and minds of working class folks who hate corporations, hate the banks, hate the federal government, are cynical about it, don't believe in it. Here's Lauren Boebert from Colorado, Freedom Caucus. Republicans are, this was before the deal, Republicans are still trying to get rid of those 87,000 IRS agents who are going to audit everyone into oblivion. Believe me when I tell you, no one that has money is going to have a problem with an audit. So true. They have tax attorneys and accountants whose only job is to make sure they pay as little as possible using legal means. Very true. The people that will suffer are those who are middle class, who make just enough to file, but not enough to have some rich attorney comb through their returns. Also true. That's who Biden wants to screw over to make sure Zelensky can get more and more money. Now, that sounds really I mean, for a lot of people, Richard, that'll sound very, very popular, except it's BS. It's demagogy because, one, the 87,000 IRS agents were not 87,000 auditors. Only about six or 7,000 were auditors, and that was over a 10-year time period. And most of the other people were, you know, almost all of the new hires were going to be based on old people retiring. But aside from all of that, The Republicans say Biden wants to screw you over, take your money, tax you more in order to give the money to Ukraine. And of course, for working class people, the war in Ukraine is unpopular, increasingly unpopular. But at the end of the day, after all of this right wing demagogy from the Freedom Caucus, the Republicans insisted and Biden agreed that defense spending would go up and up and up and it wouldn't be subjected to any sort of reduction. So This anti-war posturing by the Freedom Caucus is just that. It's just posturing, and people shouldn't fall for it. The fact of the matter is Biden and the Republicans are basically in the same train. They're playing the same game. And the working class folks are the victims, but don't fall for the right-wing demagogy. We need a progressive outlook along the lines of what you are explaining to people in terms of what the real deal is. With that, I'll give you the last word. Well, I think it's a good point. I would make it slightly differently in the following way. Absolutely, the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, is in charge of raising the money that we levy taxes to obtain. And they haven't done it in a way that they should have. They haven't done it under Republicans, and they haven't done it under Democrats. It really hasn't meant much of a difference. Huge, wealthy people use all kinds of tax maneuvers, that's correct. But the Internal Revenue Service 
could challenge those. The Internal Revenue Service could take the lead in changing the laws so that it isn't so easy to escape. There is a scandal of trillions of dollars squirreled away in what are called tax havens in the Cayman Islands, in Luxembourg, in Liechtenstein, in many American states like South Dakota and so on. These things could be changed and then it wouldn't be a matter of more or less IRS agents. That's just fastening on to something to make yourself look as like you care. Ms. Boebert and the other Republicans haven't said boo about the laws in this country that give tax advantages to rich people. They've been wonderfully quiet all of their careers. Suddenly, they're concerned about the... This is a game, as you rightly put it. This is political theater with no substance at all, latching on to whatever they can think of to make themselves look like they're reasonably on the side of the average person who basically already knows better. It's not a question of how many IRS agents they are. It's a question of who they target. Do they target the rich? Or do they not? Do they target the top 10% or do they not? Both in their auditing and in their advising the Congress about what the laws are and in advising the government to go after all of those people that are illegally hiding their money in tax havens that could be changed overnight. You think the Cayman Islands are going to fight the United States if the United States insists you're not going to be a haven for money escaping from taxes? They wouldn't last two seconds. But no one is talking about that. None of these would-be politicians has the courage to say boo. Instead, they want you to get all excited about how many thousands of auditors the IRS has, rather than asking the obvious question, what is the IRS doing? Whom is it targeting? And who is it letting escape? Well, the growing inequality in this country is the proof for decades and decades, that this is a country that allows the rich to get richer and the rest of us to worry about each paycheck. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. If you're a supporter of the Socialist Program, become a patron today. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Socialist Program and become a subscriber. Do your part. This is the Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.